just sort of understanding that different people consume content in different ways. And uh, instead of trying to get everyone else to read my content, it was like taking my written content and repackaging it in a way that other people will consume it. Welcome to the Become a Writer Today podcast with Brian Collins. Here you'll find practical advice and interviews for all kinds of writers. If you're writing or creating content online, then Web3 could be the future. Hi there, my name is Brian Collins. Welcome to the Become a Writer Today channel. Years ago, many people were skeptical about blogging and didn't really see it as a viable way for writers to earn a living. Then it was self-publishing. Many people considered self-publishing a little bit scammy and not really a great way for authors to sell their books directly to their fans. Arguably, that's the place Web3 is at today. Many people look at the technologies surrounding Web3, so I'm talking about cryptocurrency, the blockchain and NFTs, with a lot of skepticism. And in some cases, they're right. However, arguably, Web3 could be the way that content creators who are working online build a relationship directly with their followers and their fans. And if you are a writer, it could even represent the future for how you write or create something that your readers like to collect or like to own. So in this week's interview, I caught up with one of the NFT space's best known content creators. His name is Zeneca. I asked him how he researches, creates and writes content in such a new and emerging space. I was fascinated to hear how Zeneca got started on Twitter before iterating into different platforms. In other words, he's using both Web3 and Web2 tools to build a relationship directly with his followers and with his audience. My other takeaway from talking to Zeneca is that the technologies within Web3 are constantly adapting and changing. So if you feel like you've missed out or it's too late to get involved in such, I suppose, a technical space, then fear not, because Zeneca has a number of takeaways which will help you get started. Now, I hope you enjoy this week's interview with Zeneca. If you do, please consider leaving a short review on the iTunes store, because more reviews and ratings will help more people find the Become a Writer Today podcast. You could also consider sharing the show with another writer or another friend who you think would enjoy learning all about writing and creating content in Web3. And even if you're not ready to create content in Web3 just yet, keeping up to date with the latest tools and technology and trends could help you prepare for whatever the future looks like for writers and for content creators working online. I know that's what I'm planning to do. So I spend a lot of time writing blog posts and articles and you know, trying to rank these articles in Google search results so I can get traffic for my website. So it's a pure Web2 business model. But I'm also experimenting with Web3 tools and platforms. Mirror.xyz is one that comes to mind. You can use Mirror.xyz to turn your writings into an NFT that you can then potentially give to your followers and to your fans and readers. Now, I have no direct plans to sell any of these NFTs. This is just simply a way of me keeping up to date with the latest tools and technologies. Anyway, let's go over to this week's interview with Zeneca. Welcome to the show, Zeneca. It's great to catch up with you. I've been following you online for some time now. I'm wondering, could you give listeners a bit of a flavor for who you are and how you got into creating content about your specific topic? Yeah, absolutely. First of all, it's good to be here. I was a professional poker player for about 16 years. That was my job profession for a very long time. And throughout that process, at some point, I started a, a blog, a poker blog. And it had like moderate success. It wasn't a lot of success, but I enjoyed writing. 
people enjoyed reading what I was writing and it just sort of gave me the bug for creating content. And eventually it like fizzled out because I stopped playing as much poker. The, the blog was all over the place. It was like, I would blog about poker, but then I would also write about dinner I had and travel. And it was like this all over the place thing. And then for many years, I always had the idea in the back of my head of starting up a new blog or newsletter or something about food or travel or yada, yada, yada. But you know, the world doesn't need another, <laughs> yet another travel blog. And so none of that really panned out anywhere. And then I got into crypto and NFTs pretty heavily. And it was this like new up and coming area where there wasn't really much content at all. And so when I started writing about it, I started the newsletter, there was really no one else really creating much content, especially written content. So it kind of blew up and I fell in love with it. I was writing about a specific, like a niche within a niche within a niche. It wasn't this broad poker plus lifestyle plus travel. Yeah, I mean, that was in 2021, so about two years ago. And it's uh, been a, ever since then, it's like evolved into like a thousand other things, the podcast and YouTube, et cetera. I'm sure we'll get to that, but that's kind of how it all started. It's interesting you described having a blog that covered poker and what was going on in your life. So that's a mistake that a lot of new bloggers make is where they just write about everything and anything rather than picking a niche within a niche. And I think that's why I found you when you started creating content specifically on Twitter. So you created a lot of threads and informational content that's fair to say were made it easy for new people to the space to digest what was happening because crypto and NFTs are quite technical for people who are outside of that space. Yeah, it's I would say like for me, I started writing only like four months after I got into the space, but and it was sort of like a two-way street where I knew that I would learn better if I had to like if I have to write about something and explain it to other people. You obviously have to research it and understand it yourself and then to be able to distill it to others. And so I was thinking part of the impetus for creating my first newsletter was you know, if, if I have to write about it, I'm gonna have to understand it. I'll learn it better myself. And yeah, throughout that process, I, I just started learning more and more how difficult it is for people to understand complicated topics. And then the ability to sort of distill that into easy to understand content is, I think, one of the reasons things sort of started going really well for me on that on that front. At what point did you decide to move beyond just writing Twitter threads? I know you set up a Substack newsletter as well, and you moved into podcasting and YouTube. Probably only like two, three months after, well, maybe like three to six, actually, is probably a better time frame. After, you know, written content, I'll, I'll loop that all in together, Twitter and newsletters, etc. It was going really well, but it sort of dawned on me that... 80 and, and it was sort of like hammered into me by a few other people that 80% of people just aren't going to read long form written content. My newsletters like really, you know, take 20 minutes, 30 minutes to read. And for the people that do take the time to read that, they love it. I love writing it. But the reality is we live in a, well, people consume content in different ways. And we also live in like this TikTok generation now where people are consuming shorter and shorter pieces of content, usually video, sometimes audio. And I thought, you know, if I want to really grow and expand and reach a much wider audience, I need to sort of go to where other people are consuming content. And so written is great, but then that's where I was like, all right, let's work on podcasting. Let's work on YouTube videos. And like I had a similar trajectory with YouTube where I started out my, my videos were like, two hour long interviews <laughs> and the same realization is like, well, people, a lot of people are going to watch that. Let's try and do 10 minute videos and 60 second shorts. And so uh, it, that's been a learning journey as well, but just sort of understanding that different people consume content in different ways. And uh, instead of trying to get everyone else to read my content, it was like taking my written content and repackaging it in a way that other people will consume it. So I'm on your Substack newsletter. It's excellent. I've, I've learned a lot about 
art blocks, which is an NFT project, for example. But I, I can imagine writing something that's that in depth, and it's a little bit technical. Takes a lot of time. So, so how much time do you spend on on content creation? Because I know you also have a community of collectors for your NFT, and you, you sometimes trade NFTs as well. So, so I mean, how much time does content creation take up? Yeah, it's one of those things where I, I seemingly never have enough time to dedicate to content, especially these days, as I would like. Like, so a single newsletter, uh, the one you just referenced, that like I think that would take like two or three days to to really create many many hours of research. Occasionally, I'll write something that is just like stream of consciousness thoughts or I'm, I'm writing from my own experience and not necessarily breaking down a more complex topic. And I can do that in two to five hours. But that, you know that's still a pretty heavy time investment. So I guess to answer your question, these days, I probably only spend 10 hours a week on content. And that's total across a couple hours podcasting, a couple of YouTube videos. In an ideal world, I'm putting out one newsletter a week, but that's not been my cadence since 2020. One, one of my resolutions this year is to release 52 newsletters to get back into one a week. But yeah, it's, you know, maximum 10 hours a week at the moment. And it definitely doesn't feel like enough. So I need to sort of restructure my life a bit because I, I do want to, I, I love creating content. And I want to focus more on it because I think it, it has a lot of potential to really amplify everything else that I'm doing. I started a YouTube channel a year or so ago and editing takes up a lot of time. So I hired a video editor. I have a podcast editor who helps with this podcast. Do you have many team members who help you with your content creation process? Yeah, we have both of those things. I have an audio engineer who does all the editing for the podcasts and a video editor. We Not part of the team, the freelancers that we work with, but definitely outsource that way. And then on the team, so I have a company, Zen Academy. It's it's about education and content and media and a whole bunch of other things in, in tech and and crypto and web3 and part of the team there's a couple of people who are you know managing different types of content so they definitely help with if i record something they make sure the show notes get written and then it gets published on youtube as well as tiktok and instagram and does do we need to be on those platforms and all that kind of stuff so even with a team i still feel like i'm i'm sort of drowning a little bit so uh it, it takes a lot to create good content it does. It, it can certainly be an investment. And considering what you, you're creating is, needs a lot of research too, I can imagine it's quite time-consuming. Um, what would you say is the most important channel f- for you at the moment? I would say Twitter is probably the most important. It's, it's the place that I've, I guess, grown the largest audience and I'm, I'm like the most active and visible on there. Every day I'll tweet at least something. And after that, my newsletter. Like the, My newsletter is the thing that's like closest to my heart. It's, you know... 25,000 readers and like I, I speak directly to them and I write these long pieces that they enjoy reading. Otherwise they wouldn't be on the, the list anymore. So that that's the most important to me in terms of like what I think is the most important to grow. I would say YouTube. I think that's the thing that I'm, I'm not good at it. I'm not like inherently comfortable behind a camera. It's like a whole new learning process. Whereas writing, I was pretty comfortable with for, for most of my life recording and being on camera, that's like a whole new learning process. So I've been trying to figure that out for a year, buy new like cameras and get the lighting right and, and all that kind of stuff and, and you know understand how to craft a video in a way that gets people to click on it and then start watching it and just keep watching it. That's a whole big thing that I really want to master and get better at because I think it's like that's how you really, really grow in today's world is to create good video content. But it's not not there yet for, for me. I've had a similar experience. So if I know the topic, I can write a thousand word article in about an hour. But to record a video with a similar script or something comparable in length, 
It would take me at least twice that long, not including editing time. So I still need to work on video creation skills. So I presume you're referencing long videos on YouTube. Have you spent much time investigating, creating short form content outside of Twitter? So for example, TikTok or YouTube shorts? Yes, I've done a bit of YouTube shorts. It's always a struggle for me to keep it under the 60 second mark. Occasionally it works. It's another one of those things where it's like, it's easy to create average content. You just record yourself speaking for 60 seconds and like say what you're thinking. And it's like, all right, that's okay. But to create something that's like compelling, that goes viral, that people share, that's where you need to think about, all right, what am I going to say in second, like the very first second? What's the thumbnail going to be? What is like the first five seconds going to be? And you really need to break it down a lot. So that's, yeah, it's not something I'm great at yet. Shift gears for a moment. So I, I always enjoy reading people who write thoughtful threads on Twitter. But since ChatGPT has emerged, sometimes I'm looking at the threads and I'm, there's definitely a formula that Twitter writers use, but I'm now beginning to wonder, is, are some of the threads even being written by the writers or are they entirely being generated by ChatGPT or, or some other AI tool? Perhaps I'm being unfair, but there's definitely, it feels like Twitter's gotten more formulaic. I agree completely. I think it was happening before ChatGPT. I was already noticing like, Everyone is like a lot of people who had a lot of followers using the same trend and the formula is like, here are seven tips to help you yada, 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 and finger pointing down or like, these are things you must do exclamation mark if you want to succeed, yada, yada, yada. And then, you know, the same things or like, these are seven websites that I use to, and I think chat GPT and AI has just sort of accelerated that pace where it used to be people would just copy each other's titles and formats. And now, like you said, it's possible that chat GPT or some other writing tool is, is literally writing the whole thread or 90% of it. And it's, uh, it's just a new world that we're entering into. And I kind of hate it, <laughs> but I accept it. And I understand that it is the future and, and AI is incredibly powerful. And it's about how to use it to just stand out from the crowd. I think that's one of the, the biggest takeaways that I, I've been thinking about is that AI helps Virtually anyone can be like a really good writer now. Virtually anyone can create good threads, but very few people can create excellent threads or be an excellent writer or an excellent storyteller. And so like ChatGPT helps people go from whatever, zero to eight, but to get from eight to 10 is that's where I think the people will really stand out still. Yeah. So I've used ChatGPT and as somebody who's built a lot of content websites, when you write an article for a blog, it has to follow a specific formula to rank in Google search results. And a lot of bloggers would say that that has sucked the creativity out of blogging because you, you, you know, you can't just write about a personal story. You have to cover a specific topic within the blog post. So I do look at ChatGPT and wonder if it'll eliminate that step as well. That said, I found it's quite useful for tasks like writing headlines or meta descriptions or maybe, maybe even coming up with uh, different ideas for a Twitter thread. It can be. And then I could maybe insert some personal stories into the thread, which is which is more helpful. I'd also think that the job of a good writer sometimes is to uh, maybe draw analogies or comparisons that aren't self-evident. So between two seemingly unrelated topics, uh, and that's not something that AI can do. Or perhaps also to insert something from their own experiences so with NFTs or whatever it is. It's not something AI can do yet. <laughs> that's the scary part. It's like AI is only going to get better, which is, it's really... It's- a little terrifying, but it's it's also exciting at the same time. So I know you like to uh, collect generative art and different types of NFTs, but I suppose what I'm mostly interested in is 
how writers can use NFTs. And with a few small exceptions, it does seem like uh, most writers have not used NFTs or considered how to use NFTs in the same way that visual artists have. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that's very fair to say. I think it is more difficult for a writer to use NFT to sell like a single NFT the same way that a visual artist can sell a piece of art. It's a lot more difficult for someone to sell a an article or a book, I think. Maybe there's just I mean there, there is just far less of a demand for it. The way that I see writers or content creators in general using NFTs, um, at least in the short to medium term, as a, a good solution, is if you think about how most content creators monetize, one of the aspects is usually they have a newsletter and they make it a paid newsletter. Some of the editions you have to pay for, or they have a Patreon, or you know, and, and depending on how much you pay per month, you get special perks and access, maybe a private Discord or a Telegram group, yada, yada, yada. Monthly subscriptions, basically. I think that that's a good model and that should exist. But what NFTs allow you to do is effectively sell like a lifetime access version to your content where you could say, all right, you could pay $29.95 a month or $4.95 a month or whatever you charge. Let's say I'll, I'll use $10 a month just for simplicity's sake to get access to my paid newsletter. Or you can buy this NFT that costs $100. And so people are like, well, all right, maybe I'm going to be reading this person's content for five years. This $100 purchase seems very valuable to me now rather than paying a monthly fee. And all right, so people might say, well, you can kind of already do that with like a yearly subscription on Substack or potentially they have lifetime options as well. The benefit of an NFT is that then if you buy that for $100 and decide in three years, oh, I no longer am interested in this content, you could resell that to third party or gift it to a friend. Whereas with traditional models that, that you're sort of tied into that inability to move that membership from one person to another. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of interesting ideas when it comes to like membership models, subscription models, and how NFTs can activate different types of memberships and tiers of memberships and, and owning a membership in a way that you couldn't before. And that, yeah, that, that, that's one example that comes to mind. Yeah, Tim, Tim Ferriss was one author who I found is experimenting with using NFTs for his fiction work. But I guess he already has an audience, so chances are his audience will buy whatever he creates anyway. Yeah. You currently use Substack for your newsletter. So perhaps the Web3 version of Substack is arguably mirror.xyz. Is that something that you've looked at? Yeah, I've definitely looked into it. I've even spoken to the team there, and I think they're doing some really interesting things. And it's definitely worth keeping an eye on. I think they're like allowing anyone that reads a newsletter to sort of mint a free NFT to sort of prove that they read it. And then you can sort of collect emails along with like wallet addresses and, and things like that. And then maybe reward people who have read you know, all of your newsletters or read them all within a week of publishing them. And, and there's definitely interesting dynamics there as well as interesting monetization options. I mean, I love Substack. I think it's a great company and they've done they do newsletters really, really, really well. And they really help creators you know, grow their following and, and they provide you with a lot of tools and, and everything like that. I think Mirror is understandably a little bit behind on the newsletter front. Like they're, they're a newer entity, I believe. However, they're leaps and bounds ahead on anything like blockchain or Web3 related. As far as I know, Substack doesn't have any interoperability with, with crypto or Web3. So... 
yeah, I'm keeping a close eye on Mirror. It, it's obviously a huge thing to like migrate a newsletter from one platform to another. And I'm just not quite ready to make that step yet. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if in a year I've, I've decided to use Mirror for everything because of some new things that they're doing that Substack isn't. Yeah. I, I, and also, I suppose your audience is very familiar with how to onboard with an NFT, whereas maybe in other niches aren't verticals that might not necessarily be true one thing substack does seems to do quite well is discovery so i've interviewed a number of substack newsletter authors and and they often describe how people will find their newsletter organically within the the substack app firstly and then secondly if they're listed on a particular category they can sometimes attract subscribers that way as well is that an experience that you've had Yes. Yeah, definitely. I, th- I think it discovery as a whole is something Substack does well. It was like pretty good. And then they introduced that whole recommendations feature and that just amplified it by 10. It's such a great way for like, occasionally I'll like reach out to, or another writer will reach out to me who's, you know, writing in a similar sphere, whether it's crypto NFTs technology. And, you know, we like each other's newsletter and we're like, Hey, you know, should we recommend each other's newsletter? Or like, I just do it organically because I like someone. And then I see that they do it back. And then you can just see there's a graph of how many subscribers you have. And then like when someone else starts recommending you, if they have a reasonable newsletter, it just upticks a lot because all of a sudden it's not just as organic discovery where it's, you know, just recommended in the Substack app or something like that. That's I've got 25,000 newsletter subscribers. If I start recommending another newsletter, all of my 25,000 subscribers, they'll be able to go, oh, well, we like his writing and now he recommends this other one. It's probably worth checking out. And so it's a great way to get new subscribers and just get more eyes on your your writing so yeah we were talking about twitter a few moments ago and how ai has changed it i mean the algorithms obviously going through a lot of changes since elon musk took over some people would say it's harder to get your content to appear so have you looked at alternatives to twitter one that i experimented with for example is a bitclout which is like a decentralized version of twitter and a mastodon is another one that's popular have you looked at any of these yeah i looked at bitclout like 18 months ago. So when I was first starting out and it just, it didn't, Twitter just seemed there were way more users. And like the thing with social media platforms is, is you generally want to go where the users are if you're trying to build a platform. It's it's why it's so difficult for someone to like unseat an incumbent. Like there there are arguably, I mean, there are platforms that are technologically better than Twitter and have better everything, except they just don't have the billion users or whatever Twitter has. So it's difficult for them to overtake it. However, there are now like, a few others that are gaining in popularity, especially like during all this turmoil with Elon. I haven't tried Mastodon. Uh, I have tried Farcaster. And I think that's a really interesting one as well, which is, it's, it's a, I think it's inherently like Web3 native where it's designed for people in technology and crypto the way that it's built. But uh, I haven't actually used it for a couple of months. I, I lost access to my account. So I need to get a new one. That's a whole thing. But yeah, I think there are some interesting alternatives for sure. I almost checked that out. I'm not for, Firecaster. Is that the correct name? Far, F-A-R, Faster. I'll check that out after the call. So you're in crypto land, what's described as a self-docs, so people know who you are. And I could talk to you on an interview like this. But when, when you're researching projects, a lot of the creators use their Web3 identity or pseudonym or a JPEG. And obviously in NFT land, there's a lot of bad actors and nefarious players. So do you find it difficult to get in touch with people when you're interested in writing about a particular project or the work of an artist? Not really. I think, I mean, most people, especially if you're going to write about them, are pretty forthcoming and, and willing to speak with you. I think 
And like most people use Twitter as well. So you can generally find a way to reach someone via Twitter. So yeah, getting in touch with people is not an issue. I think if you feel like you need to know, like they're have a, a headshot of their, their real face or know their first and last name, that is definitely more difficult. But personally, I think it's totally fine to be anonymous or more accurately pseudonymous and write about that person without necessarily knowing their full name or what they look like. And I think it's actually, obviously it's one of the there's potential risks with it in crypto where people can be bad actors and they can scam and they can take money and, and run away and not be held accountable as much. But I think it's one of the beautiful parts about crypto and everything as well, because it eliminates possibility for prejudice and, and any sort of biases that people might have based on someone's age or skin color or gender or political views, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, it's all a country they're from. It's, it's like a person's work speaks for themselves, their words, their actions, their writing, their this, that, and the other. And I think that's one of the best parts of, of crypto. A lot of content creators I use Circle to interact with their community, but in crypto and NFTs, Discord is their primary platform for projects and creators to connect with their followers and fans. But which is ironic because Discord was actually built for gamers, not for crypto and NFTs. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of Discord early adopters don't like that NFT creators use it. Do you think people like you will continue to use Discord in the future, or will there be some other platform that creators may use? It's a good question. I think it's it comes back to the same thing with Twitter, where Discord is not perfect, but it is kind of good enough for most people's purposes. And it's sort of been embraced by the Web3 community for long enough. And there's all these like third-party tools and bots and plugins and everything that people can integrate into the servers that make it very easy to use Web3 and crypto integrations. And so because of that, it's difficult for another competitor to come along. And I mean, there are others that do things better than, than Discord, but because everyone uses Discord difficult to get a community to use something else. I can't remember where I heard it, but basically whoever it was said that in order for something like a, a product to sort of unseat something like Discord or Twitter or Facebook, they don't just have to be better. They have to be an order of magnitude better at least. And until we see something that's an order of magnitude better than Discord at being what Discord is effectively a, a chat room server, I'm not sure that the crypto space will move away from Discord. If somebody's listening to this and they're thinking, I want to start writing about Web3 or NFTs, but then they go and check out the floor price of a board API club, you know, they're going to say, I don't have that kind of money. So can I still get in involved in the space? But what would you say to them? How, how can somebody get involved? Oh, I would say you, you don't even need to own an NFT or anything to be involved in the space or to write about it. Uh, certainly not a board ape or any sort of expensive NFT. Some of the biggest and best creators. I mean, they use their face on Twitter as a profile picture. They use something that they made themselves or that they paid $5 for or anything like that. I don't think you need any NFT. Like it's not a prerequisite for anything in the space, really. Yeah, I mean, like I think you can participate in the space virtually just as much as someone who has a board eight with just, just being yourself, whatever you want to be. That's the beauty of the space. You, you sort of join, you start chatting to people, you make connections, you start learning, you start asking questions, you build out a network, you start writing, you start creating content if, if that's what you want to do. And I think it's an, it's a very equal playing field. And so I really don't think, and <laughs> there's an, even an argument to be made where having a board ape could be a detriment because certainly some people find it sort of almost like elitist now, which is ironic because when they first came out two years ago, there was sort of the counterculture project where there was a previous project called CryptoPunks. Everyone thought they were the elite 
project and then these board apes came out and, and uh, you know they were not that expensive compared to most things in, in in the space and this really great community and, and counterculture formed and now obviously they're so expensive that they're seen as elitist and so maybe if you're trying to build a brand whether it's personal or professional uh, and, and great content definitely I, I could see arguments that not having a board ape would be better than having one Mm, makes sense. So Seneca, where can listeners go if they want to learn more about you or your work? So two places. Uh, my Twitter is is where I spend a lot of time. It's just at Zeneca, uh, Z-E-N-E-C-A. And then I have my website, which is Zeneca.xyz. I'll put the links in the show notes. Thank you, Zeneca. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you did, please consider leaving a short review on the iTunes store or sharing the show on Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening. More reviews, more ratings, and more shares will help more people find the Become a Writer Today podcast. And did you know for just a couple of dollars a month, you could become a Patreon for the show? Visit patreon.com forward slash become a writer today, or look for the support button in the show notes. Your support will help me record, produce, and publish more episodes each month. And if you become a Patreon, I'll give you my writing books, discounts on writing software, and on my writing courses. Thank you.